the motivational cowboy with this week's episode of outstanding life podcast the episode title life at 300 miles per hour with my friend jimmo after all these years of knowing you hanging out with you i finally get you in the studio for a podcast what's up buddy Man, not much, Johnny D. This is uh, this is awesome. Man. I love coming here and checking your place out. This is this is great. Man, I tell you what. After I don't know, I was trying to think of today. It's been over ten years. I don't know if it's 10, 15 years I've known you, and you know we always get together a couple times a year. You're always so busy. Thirty some years in the drag racing business. Thirty years. I mean that. That is like, that's almost your whole life, man. I mean, I don't think you know anything else than drag racing. How in the heck does a man get into drag racing? I mean, I know your dad did it, and I don't know if he did it professionally or if he did it kind of for fun, but your family was in the business. So then is that where you got the uh, the niche or the the hook, the feeling to get into the business? Yeah, my my dad raced back in the you know the late fifties, sixties, and early seventies. Now, when you say race, was he a race car driver, well, or he, what? Did he work on them like you? Well, he he did both. He he drove and he he worked on the cars. And the last time he drove, he actually crashed the car, but he didn't want to tell my mom about it. But my mom found out about it from a neighbor the next morning, and that was the end of my dad's driving career. But you know, as a kid, you know, my dad would drag myself and my brother to the, to the drag races. And, you know, as a, as a small kid, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with, with top fuel dragsters, with nitro funny cars. And, you know, just the sound, the awesomeness of, of what a fuel car is, was just something that just, I wanted to be involved in for my whole life. How many, let's see, we're going back to what you were five, six, seven years old, maybe. How many horsepower were those nitro cars putting out back then? Would you th- get just guess? I would say probably when I started going to the races, they were probably around fifteen hundred to two thousand horsepower, maybe. And when you got out of the business, how many horsepower? You know, horsepower were they running then? Eight thousand, nine thousand, about eleven thousand. Holy horsepower. cow! Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Holy cow! Oh man! So listen, the first time that I was at a NHRA event was. I'm going to go back here. I know it's probably 19 years ago, 20 years ago. <clears throat> there is something about the cloud of nitro that makes you cry. You, I mean, literally, I'll never forget my friends that going, hey, yeah, move up there, move up there. And I'm like, why do these people have masks on? And I'm over here right in the middle of it. And all of a sudden, my I, my eyes start watering. What is it that makes a person look like a big baby, even though they're an adult? Well, you know <laughs> the, the the nitro methane, and it and it and it boggles my mind with the all the EPA stuff going on and everything <laughs> that they even allow us to uh, to do this. But um, you know, I remember as a kid going to the races and with my brother. And we would sit there behind a funny car that was warming up. And I remember it was Roland Leon's Hawaiian punch car. They were warming up this car. I remember were, that car. Yeah, and they were warming it up on alcohol and everybody's standing there. And, <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden we're like, you know, oh, we're going to get a good seat now. As soon as they switch it over to nitro, it's going to fog everybody out, right? So 
my brother and I, we're small and we're just sitting there waiting. And the next thing you know, they, they, uh, they switch it over to nitro methane and it cleared everybody out. And my brother, Jono and I, we had a front row seat to, to them warming up the Hawaiian punch car. And, um, I don't know what it is about it, but it is some gnarly stuff when you get that fog and it's, it, it definitely could make a grown man cry. It's crazy. So take me back to you growing up, wanting to get in the business and then getting the chance to actually do it. Like at, at what age did you, cause I'm sure you went to high school, right? Did you go to college? Uh, uh, a little bit. Okay. So you're just like me. I, it's either, yep. I went to school and then got my master's degree or it's, um, yeah. And that, and that's where I know somebody went for almost a year or less. Exactly. <laughs> and that was me. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, so you, you, you go through, you know, your family's racing, your stuff like that. You, 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 you get the bug. Were you doing stuff for free for other people in the business just to be around it? Because me being around the the racing side of things with NASCAR, people always say, they're like, man, I was mopping floors. I was doing whatever I could just to be around a team. Because you never know right. when an opportunity presents itself. And you out of sight, out of mind. And But if you're there, they're like, hey, you, come here. Yeah, and, it, and, and for me, like as a... Uh, young kid growing up, you know, I, when I go to the races with my dad, you know, it was, you know, working on his car. Or I, will, I don't know if we'll really call it working, but it was just kind of being in the way, you know, and maybe, you know, cleaning a drain pan out or something like yeah. that. But um, the, the first time that I probably was able to work on a car and I felt like, wow, this is something really cool. And it was, it was back in, uh, uh, 1982, uh, my dad took us to the Cajun Nationals down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, that's where um, I met uh, Connie Coletta and Scott Coletta for okay. the first time. And um, my dad's real good friend, uh, Ron Barrows, was the crew chief for Connie Coletta back then. So Ron allowed uh, my brother and I to, you know, clean pans and things like that. But it was it was really cool because you were part of a team, you felt like, mm -hmm. back then. And it was crazy. Uh, back then, but I thought, you know, man, this would be pretty neat if, if I could do this more. Right. So, um, you know, as time went on, um, I, I, I started getting more interested in it. And my dad, we had a paint and body shop back in uh, Dallas, Texas. And right around the corner from my dad's shop was the Blue Max race team. Oh, wow. And those guys were big time, you know, Raymond Beetle and everybody. And then there were chaparral trailers that was there. It's where all the big dogs got their trailers <laughs> built. Um, but, uh, my dad, we had a guy that worked for us named Morris McDonald. I call him Motown <laughs> and, um, he worked on Frank Cook and Chuck Landers drag on charger alcohol funny car. So they had a shop right around the corner and I would go there at night and I would scrape rubber from underneath the body, you know, polish wheels, do whatever. How old were you? Um, I was about 16 at the time and, um, I just thought it was so cool to do that and then i started going to the races with these guys yeah and um it was in like the, locally yeah locally okay. um well texas is a big state <laughs> right. so um i remember the first race i went to with them was down in baton rouge louisiana and we drove all night friday night um drove down these two-lane roads <laughs> with god knows what on the side of the road yeah. and um we uh pulled in a baton rouge racetrack that morning saturday morning and I remember I turned the truck off and I, cause I drove the truck because I'm, I'm like, Oh, I could drive. And they're like, really? And I never drove anything with a trailer on it. 
So we drive, and I turn the thing off. And back then, it was a you know it was a, a, a Chevy crew cab, and it mm-hmm. had the big block Chevy in it. And they're like, "Oh, don't turn it off," because they had headers on it, and then the <laughs> headers got by the starter and heated the starter up. So then I had to crawl underneath there and beat on it with a hammer and to get the thing started again. And but um, it was just so much fun. And uh, was that was that weekend that that you went to Baton Rouge? Was that the first time you actually got away and spent the night in a hotel for work? Yeah, that was probably the first time for me that I, I I went there. I didn't. My dad didn't go with me. My brother didn't go with me. It was just me. And I went with with Frank Cook and Chuck Landers and Morris and Tuna cool. and and, <laughs> and um, we just had a grand old time. And, yeah. and it was like so much fun. And and it was just like something. Man, I've got to do this more. Right. So the next step was for you to do what? Well, I, I, I helped with, with Frank and Chuck for a while, and, and then I um, uh, got hooked up with a guy named Jay Meyer out of Freeport, Texas. He had an alcohol dragster, and um, he wanted me to come work on his car. You know, and I painted his car for him and, and did some things, so I traveled around with him in 1987, him and his wife and and uh, the uh, four kids, I believe it was. <laughs> and um, same thing. We just had a, a lot of fun, and... and um, uh, Jay had the ability to be a little bit more competitive. You know, he had some pretty nice equipment that he had, and uh, it was it was fun going to the races with him and and you know having the ability to have a car that could possibly win a race. And he taught me a lot because it was really just him and I working on the car, and it was it was a good learning experience for me. So you said you worked with your dad, but you wanted to get into racing. At what point did you have to go to your dad and say, "Hey, Dad, I love you." This is a great deal, but uh, I got to move on to something bigger and better here, and I have an opportunity. Well, I remember in late 1987, <laughs> I talked to Scott Coletta, and I asked Scott, you know, what the chances were of me being able to come work for him, and he just kind of looked at me like, you know, didn't I? I think in his mind was he was thinking like, yeah, slim and none, <laughs> and, but I kept bugging him, and then the the next year, was Scott what, what was, and I'm interrupting you for a minute because you. Scott had a tendency to not act so nice the way that you just said it. So when he did he really say it just that nicely? Like, hey, listen, I'll think about it. Because Scott Scott spoke his mind and, and he you knew exactly what Scott was thinking all the time. Yeah, but, but you know, he he um beneath his his rough exterior, he was really a a, a good hearted yeah, you know, human being. And absolutely and, um, he was. You know, and he uh uh he cared about people. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, he, he was one of those guys that you had to know yeah. to understand. And, um, and not a lot of people ever really took the time to get to know him. Yep. And I, I was very fortunate that I, I spent a lot of time with him. I mean, he stayed at my mom and dad's house and, you know, him and I went on a lot of trips together as far as, you know, driving down the road, uh, going to these races and and things like that, but um, so you finally asked him, and he gave you a chance. Yeah, I, I finally at the beginning of the 1988 season, he came to me. He says, "Hey, I have an opening. Are you interested?" And I about tripped over <laughs> myself. I said, "Why, sure." And I I went to my dad and I told my dad, I said, "I'm going racing with Scott," and um, he's like, "Really?" And I I said, "Yeah, I am." I said, "This is what I want to do." I think my dad thought that I wouldn't last very long, mm-hmm. you know, that I might do this for, you know, three to six months and then I'd be knocking on his door wanting to get back in <laughs> into the paint and body shop. But 
you know, I was bound and determined that this was something that I, I wanted to do. And, yeah. and, um, and being able to race with Scott was something that was, um, you know, for me, it was a, uh, you know, a dream come true because I'd gotten to know Scott previously before that for right. about five years and, and, uh, you know, had, had taken a, uh, we'd, we'd gotten to become friends and things like that. So it was, it was really cool for me to be able to go work for him. And, and, um, he was probably one of my first and most important mentors I ever had in early on in drag racing. What would, what would you say would be your favorite track that you have ever been to? Now, I don't mean just NHRA drag racing. I mean, I mean, just racetracks. I would say, uh, for me, um, you know, to, Topeka, Kansas always kind of held a special place in my heart because we were so successful there as a, as a race team for so many years. And that's where, um, you know, I was with Scott when he won his first top fuel race there. It was with, you know, uh, David Grubnick was part of the team when he mm-hmm. won his first race there. Hillary will, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, gosh, that so, just so brought many, back a lot of memories right you there. Know, um, did, did very well with Doug Coletta there. Um, you know, I, I also think that, you know, probably not tops on everybody's list, but like for me, uh, both the Houston racetrack and the Dallas racetrack are pretty special to me. Houston, because that was the first place that, um, I was ever part of a, a, a win with Scott Collette. It was Scott Collette's very first NHRA national event win and first one for me as a, as a young crew member at the time. And then Dallas was very special to me. Um, the first time my daughter ever came to a race and she was spoiled back in 1995, <laughs> the year she was born, she came to the Dallas race and, uh, uh, Scott Collette, he won that race that weekend. And we also clinched the world championship that weekend. So, that was pretty big for me. And then going back there in 2013, um, it was the first race that we had um, uh, won after my my late wife, Tom, uh, Tammy, passed away. Right, right. So. so, you know, there you've got to meet so many people over 30 years in this business. And I was going through some stuff today, and I was writing a list of questions down. And um, I was like, wait a second. I am not the only cowboy in your life. I, so talk about the relationship that you have and who I'm talking about is Cowboy Bob. You and him, um, I, I know that he was, um, you know, he was a sponsor, but, but he's also a really good friend of yours. How did that relationship, you know, come about? Because I know that you meet so many people, it's hard to get close to everybody that you come in contact with. But there is a special bond that you two have. Cowboy Bob, he is... <laughs> He is my brother from another mother. He is a guy that has had my back through thick and thin. He's yeah. he's a guy that has always been straight up and honest with me. If you know, he's, if he's a big dude. Did did he play football or or was he ever like a wrestler? I've always was, wondered. Yeah, he's that. A, he played football and stuff. Oh, he and, did. Yeah, okay, because he, he's a big he's dude. He's a big dude. Yeah, he's very big. <laughs> and um, uh, you know, he he's he's a, a a wonderful human being, and he's always like if he's saw me screwing up something, he'd, he'd call me out, you know, he, he would, uh, uh, you know, straighten me out or he would, you know, try to help me out. Or mm-hmm. if, if I have, uh, had a personal problem, personal question, I can always talk to him, you know, like a brother and, um, you know, in the same way with him, you know, he calls me up for things, but how I met cowboy Bob, um, of all things, 
you know, and because um, he lives in Vegas, right? He lives in Vegas. Uh, he's a he's a big Pittsburgh Steeler fan, and so am I. So we had a, a mutual friend, a friend of ours named Garen Suhu, and Garen told Cowboy Bob, he says, "Hey, you have to meet Jimmo because he is a big Steeler fan." <laughs> so he brought Cowboy Bob over to our pit area, and um, so. There's this humongous guy, cowboy hat and everything, and he's got this humongous Pittsburgh Steeler belt buckle on. And I said, I go, man, that's a cool belt buckle. He took took his whole belt off with the belt buckle and gave it to me. He says, here, it's yours, you know. And wow. and we just hit it off right after that. And um, you know, we've been friends for uh, you know about twenty years now, and he's um, just an amazing guy, you know. And he's experienced many ups and downs in his life as well and and um you know the one thing about him is he's he always you know always seems to have a a positive message for somebody no matter what every time i've ever met him he is definitely the glasses half full kind of guy yes would you say then the key to your success would be keeping good people around you would that be like a life lesson that that you would share to somebody else because being in the business for 30 years, I'm sure that, that there are people that, that came into your life that you wish they never came in your life. And then there's other people that you start to keep a, just a close niche group of people around you because you know that they are going to help you go to that next level. Yeah, I think that the people you surround yourself with are, are very important um, for many things, whether it's on the personal side, the business side, mm-hmm. and whatever it may be, uh, because they're around you all the time. And, and one of the things that I've tried to do with myself, no matter what, is I, I try to look at the good in people, no matter mm-hmm. what. So I don't want to focus on what they they can't do. I want to focus on what they can do. I don't want to focus on what's bad about them. I want to focus, you know, what's yeah. good about them. And, and um, you know, so for me, you know, having that right group of people around you, having people that that aren't negative all the time, uh, that that bring something positive to the table. That's I feel makes me a, a, a better person moving you know moving forward. Talking about friends and family, let's talk about your brother Jono. He's another one of those guys that um, I, I think the world of myself. I don't get to see you guys all the time, but he's always always upbeat. He always says hello. You guys working together as long as you have. It's your brother. It's blood. But sometimes you were competing against each other as well. What was that like having your brother around you for so long? Well, I was I was very uh very blessed to be able to work with my brother for re- really about 28 years. Yeah. You know, at Coletta Motorsports and um I I'm very proud of him. Yeah. You know, because you know, being the older brother, there's always that thing of you know the little brother lives in the the uh, shadows shadows of of, you know the his big brother and stuff but you know I'm very proud of what you know he's he's done in the sport of drag racing and and what he's accomplished and he's very passionate about what he does and but the thing that I like about my brother um, better than anything is is the how proud he is to be a dad and how proud he is to be, to be a husband Mm -hmm. and, and how hard he works at 
being a good dad and being a good husband and being it's uh, tough a to good find balance. It, it is. It's very tough to find balance, uh, especially you know with that lifestyle. Yep. And um, but you know I we we had a lot of fun working together. We had our ups and downs. There were days we wanted to strangle each other. I was just gonna ask you, did you ever have those days of like you were working together, but then brothers always have those. Those moments where you just oh, want to yeah. punch each other out. Oh yeah, we we had a we had a few of those, and the only guy that ever got in between us was Ed the Ace McCullough, and that was it. And 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 Ace was like, "Guys, you don't want to do this." And, and uh, you know, and then we thought better of it, and we're like, "All right, we won't because we're too old. You yeah, know, we can't be doing that anymore." But you know, it's, it's I love my brother. He's a he's a he's a great guy, and he does a great job running that car. And I'm you know, uh, right now you know their DHL Funny Car with Jr. Todd you know, is, is, uh, you know, competing for the funny car world championship yeah. and, you know, and I'm, I'm cheering them on. I hope yeah. they do a great job. I hope they pull it off because for my brother, it'll be his second, uh, world championship as a, as a funny car crew chief. It's funny. Cause every Sunday that I get home and you guys are on TV, I hurry up, I get off the airplane, I get in the car, I come home and I turn on and see what that team is doing right now. And I mean, they are having one of those incredible years. Um, Talk about family, man. You met your wife. Was it, did you meet did you meet Tammy in the racing business, or did you meet her outside of racing? No, I met her in the racing business. So, and, uh, uh, yeah, please tell because I don't even know how uh, you met her. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because I <laughs> I knew her brother Tim. Uh, I knew of her sister Terry. I knew of her her dad Keith and her mom Virginia, and I didn't even know Tammy existed. <laughs> At the time, how old were you? Um, bef- when I met Tammy, I was I was uh, 21 years old. Okay, and I remember Scott Coletta had hired Tammy to do uh, PR for the Coletta team. And um, <laughs> are you talking about back in the 80s? For yeah, this Scott was, and Connie. Yeah, this was in 1989. That- and I tell that, you what, that, that must have been one heck of a job for her. Oh, that was that was. A, <laughs> I tell you what, it was not an easy thing to to do a PR for for Connie and Scott back because they, I mean, really, you know, Connie sponsored the cars with yeah. his Coletta Flying Service, and and um, so it, it wasn't like they had to do a lot of PR. Yeah, but um, you know, she she treated them just like you know she was you know, out there promoting any other top driver in in the sport. And, um, you know, and then she worked on some marketing stuff for, you know, sponsors and things like that for the team. But, you know, she did a lot of things back then. And and I didn't know who she was. And the next thing you know, Scott's walking with this good-looking girl (laughs) through the airplane hangar where our shop was back then. And I was like, wow, who's that? And then I was told, "Hey, well, that's that's Tim Farrell's sister, Tammy." I go, "Really?" I said, "I thought she was going out with with Bubba Sewell." No, that's Terry. That's the other sister that's going out with Bubba Sewell. I go, "Oh, okay." So, um, I don't know. She just caught my eye, and um, who made the first move? That would be me. <laughs> She would probably say it was her. Because <laughs> that's exactly how Tammy was. And that's why I asked you the question because she'd be like, no, hell no, it was me. Well, I, I tell you what, I've definitely <laughs> thought like, like this woman is probably way too good for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, and she was a little bit older than me. She was way smarter than me about, <laughs> you know, a lot of things. But, um, yeah, there was just something about her that I, that, that I really, 
uh, really liked. And then when I, I got to know her more, and then finally, where I was asked your first her, date? Um, Don't tell me a, a racetrack. Well, I, <laughs> well, unfortunately, back then, all you do, you're at the racetrack. But actually, I remember um, we were in um, uh, Brainerd, Minnesota, and I yep. asked her out to dinner, and we went out to uh, a, a place, you know, to dinner up there in Brainerd. I can't even remember the because there wasn't much up there. So I think it was that was we another were, cool track. Yeah, I think we were in we were staying in um, one of those Maddens or something, and we went to a restaurant that was around there and stuff. But um, you know, it was. Just went out and had a real nice time with her, and yeah. I just felt like, you know, there was there was just something about her that I really liked that I had never experienced before in my life. So up until that point, it was all about racing. Then you meet Tammy. How long did it take you to say, will you marry me? Well, we went out for, it was about two years. Okay. And, um, you know, before we, we ended up getting married, I think, how all this were, I remember Scott Coletta. <laughs> He had uh, proposed to um, his his uh, future wife Kathy, and um, and I thought it was so cool because nobody ever thought Scott would get married, and I and I just thought it was really cool that they, that they did this. And then I remember um, they got married, I believe it was the following year, and um, Scott was on me about you know you know you need to ask Tammy to marry you, and then he kept asking me about you know let's you know, let me know if you want to go buy a ring and all that. And I'm like, <laughs> so I wanted to do everything by myself. Yeah. And I, so I went and, you know, found a ring, you know, for at the service merchandise. Remember those yes, places? Yes, I do I, remember that. They had credit. I got credit there, the whole deal. And I, every amount of credit I had there, which wasn't much, I, I, I bought this ring for Tammy. And uh, so I gave it to her on Christmas Day. Back in, um, so how did you propose? Now I'm really curious. Take me back. Well, how it, <laughs> I, I bought her a leather coat. Bought her this real nice leather coat at Wilson's Leather. Yeah, I then, remember that place yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> and then I put a I put this the ring box in one of the pockets. So the next thing you know, she puts this coat on, and then she's you know putting her hands in the pocket. And then she pulls out this this box, and and. Um, She's like, well, what's this? I said, well, open it up. And she opened it up, and it was an engagement ring. And then I got That's down cool. on my knee, and I asked her if she would marry me. What'd she say? And she she said yes. And I was like, oh, shit. She <laughs> said yes. <laughs> so that later on that day, we actually went over to um, uh, Scott and Kathy's house for Christmas dinner. And um, so, Kat, you know, Kathy's all excited because, you know, she heard that we got engaged. Mm-hmm. Well, then Scott starts bitching at me. He goes, <laughs> you asshole, that ring you got is bigger than Kathy's. And now I got to go buy her another ring. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't have been so cheap. But he was so mad at me. But but I was making payments on this ring. I don't think he made payments on his. He didn't have to. But um, but it was it was just a really, you know, cool time for me. And, yeah. and um, you know, back then... Tammy still went to all the races, so we spent a lot of time together. Yeah. you know. And then you start working together, right? Yeah, we worked together uh, at that time. So what was that like? So not only were you married to this beautiful woman, you worked with her, like literally on the road, at home. Then you were with her at home. Like, how did that all happen? Or not? Not how, not, how did it happen? How did it work out? Because I can't even imagine for the life of me ever working, finding a woman is going to be hard enough, 
but finding a woman that you can put up with 24-7 literally because most men and women, they go to their jobs and they can communicate with other people and stuff like that. You couldn't. <laughs> you were with this woman all the time. And as wonderful as she is, it's hard to spend that kind of time with somebody. No, it is. And it's probably, it was probably harder on her spending that much time <laughs> with me. But, um, you know, we, we just had back then, we just had a really simple life. It mm -hmm. was just her and I. And, um, you know, we enjoyed uh, the races. We both grew up around the racetrack. Yeah. So we both enjoyed that. So we, we basically, we took everything in. So we took everything in when we went to the racetrack together, uh, when we left the racetrack together, when we were back, you know, back home, back in Ypsilanti together. We just, we really enjoyed our time that we, we had with each other. Back then, were you a crew chief yet? No, I was, I was just a crew guy. I was, you were just a crew guy. So when you became a crew chief, things amp up a little bit more. How did that work out? One, you you probably were excited for yourself, right? She was probably excited for you because that's something you've been dreaming about since you were five years old. You finally get the opportunity to 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 be a crew chief on on a, on a car, but then you're still married and everything else. How did that and how did that all work out? Well, you know when I when I when I was given the opportunity to to um, be a co-crew chief with with Connie Coletta and. Uh, on Doug Coletta's car back in 2000, um, you know, it was a dream come true for me because, you know, I, I'm where I want to be. You know, I'm working with Connie Coletta. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, a legend, a legend. in the sport and yeah. done so many great things in the sport, and he's teaching me. You know, he's teaching me about about tuning a race car. He's teaching me about business and, and life in general. Yeah. So it was a it was a humongous opportunity for me. How did it happen? Because I know Connie a little bit. I've met him a few times, you know. Did he just say, hey, come here. You want to be the crew chief? Well, <laughs> or, or did he actually, what, what was he molding you? Now that you look back on it, was he molding you to be that man to take over one day? Well, at the end of 1999, uh, Connie had made some changes within the team. And we had, you know, some guys that had left the team and everything. And he came to me and he says, um, well, what do you want to do? You know, are you, I said, well, I want to stay here and work with you. And he's like, okay. And I, I said, I, I want to be a crew chief someday. And he told me, he says, well, I'd like to teach you. And I said, great. You know, and <laughs> so, you know, I remember over the winter of 1999, you know, NHRA, there was, a they, we used to be able to run unlimited nitro mm -hmm. methane percentage. Well, over the winter, they decided that they were going to drop the nitro percentage down to a 90% maximum, which, you know, that didn't set well with Connie. It didn't set well with a lot of people. And, um, you know, I remember Connie was like, you know, ah, hell with this. I'll take Dougie and we'll go NASCAR racing because <laughs> Connie Collette and Jack Roush were, were good friends. And, you know, so I'm like, oh man, you know, here we are, you know, finally get this opportunity and Connie, yeah. we may be going and turning left, you know, for all I know. But, um, you know, so fortunately, you know, Connie's passion for drag racing was there and he, you know, decided, you know, we were going drag racing. And, um, I, I remember over the winter, he's like, we had the car and it ran really good at the last race of the year in Pomona. And he told me, he says, don't touch a thing with this car. Just leave it alone. I'm like, okay. Well, I'm like, man, if I'm ever going to be a crew chief, I really need to understand how all this stuff works on yeah. these cars. Because, you know, for 
for the longest time, I mean, I did cylinder heads, I built short blocks, I did ignition stuff, I did, you know, a lot of different jobs on the car, but there were a lot of things, as much as I did, there were still a lot of things that I had no clue how it right. worked. So I remember I um, talked to my really good friend, Don Jackson, out in California, and I, I call him Pops, and I said, hey, Pops, I go, you know, can you come back here to the to the shop and help me? Because he built a lot of the, you know, the fuel valves and everything that we had on the cars. He's like, yeah. So he came back and stayed at my house and we went into the shop um, on the weekend and I stripped this car down to nothing. Wait, I just want to make sure that I understand the one that Connie told you not to touch. Yeah, the one he told me not to touch. <laughs> I, I stripped it down to nothing. So there's pieces. I'm I'm visualizing visualizing this right now. There's pieces all over the floor and everything of this hangar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was our shop, you know. Okay. So so um, there's all this stuff. There's there's wiring. There's there's <laughs> airlines. There's all this stuff all over. And then Connie comes in. He's like, "What in the world did you do?" And I said, "Well, I'm we're, we're I'm taking this car apart. I'm going to put it all back together." He goes, "You know where any of this stuff goes?" I'm like. No, but I still yeah, I'm figure learn, it right? out. I'm going to learn. You know, that's because I always felt like, you know, if I'm going to learn, I need to take all this stuff apart. Yeah. And um, so I did that. And we, you know, myself and Don Jackson, he showed me how to plumb everything. And, you know, as in relation to the to the fuel valves and everything. So we put all this stuff back together and we went to Phoenix testing. And I'll never forget. I'm like, oh, please, God, I hope all this stuff works. And uh, we went testing and. You know, the car started up, did a burnout, it did everything worked and and uh and in the process we took about five pounds off the car too. So that really? was even better yet. Your first lesson as a crew chief then, if you don't know some something, you call somebody smarter than you, right? Oh because yeah. Because you can't know everything about anything in life. You 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 can't ever think that you have it all together. There's always somebody out there that knows a little bit more than you, correct? Oh yeah. The day that I wake up in the morning and think I know everything is a day I really need to quit racing. And probably one of the I the best compliments I could ever give uh Connie Coletta is this is a guy that's been racing before I was ever born mm -hmm. has probably forgot more about drag racing than I'll ever know. But if you ask him a question about something and he doesn't know, he will tell you, I don't know. Let's go find somebody who does know. Yeah. And and that's what I always liked about Connie Coletta more than anything. He wasn't a guy that was going to feed you a line to give you an answer that, that, um, just to give you an answer. Right. He, he was, he, he was, kept it real. He kept it real. Yep. And, and it was, uh, it was pretty cool. So you're a crew chief now at this point, you're married at this point. I don't know this and I hope that I'm not getting too personal with you, but I just know that in life, there are things that I have had to overcome because I was excited about my new job or my new career or, and I would put, I'm getting goosebumps right now, but when I'm thinking about it and, um, it also me off that I was like that, but I'm also glad I was like that because it made me who I am today. But I forgot about a lot of people because I, I, I gave my heart and soul into working my tail off to learn the business. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, it, being a motivational speaker for 20 years, I, it's not like I woke up one day and I knew everything about speaking. It's a business. And I worked a lot of years and missed a lot of stuff to follow my dream 
Did you ever get to that point, or did you always have balance? No, I, 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 I mean, exactly what you said. I mean, it hits the nail on the head for me. Um, you know, when I was given this opportunity to, to be uh, a, a crew chief and, and working with Connie Coletta and, and all these things, <clears throat> I was so excited about that opportunity, and I wanted to succeed so much because I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to fail at being a crew chief. I didn't want to let, you know, Connie Coletta down or Doug Coletta or Scott Coletta. I didn't want to let anybody down on mm -hmm. that side. So I put all this effort into, you know, working all these hours. And this is, and I acted like this is the only thing I had in my life. Right. And my wife, Tammy, she was so very supportive of me following my dream and, and you know, becoming a crew chief. And she stood by me all this time. But at, while all this was going on, um, my, my passion and for being a, a top-notch crew chief overtook my passion for being a good husband, a good dad, you mm -hmm. know, a good family man. And, um, you know, and, and looking back on that, it's, it's tough. And, I, you know, yeah. and there's times I, you know, I, I curse myself out because I, I did this. And I did this for a long time. And it was always like the the team was above everything else, mm -hmm. and 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 it shouldn't have been that way. And I could have still, if I could have changed things, and put my my wife and my family, my kid, and everything top, I still could have done the same things, being a good crew chief, yeah, as well. But yeah. you know, I you know those are those are lessons that you learn. In yeah. life, and it was a it was a tough lesson. She she was definitely definitely proud of you. So, at, at what point did you and Tammy have your beautiful daughter? Because the one thing that I'll always remember the first time that I met you is the one thing that we have in common is we have a daughter about the same age, <clears throat> and we're both two very proud parents. And and I like to say that you know I'm proud that I can say that I'm a proud parent. You know what I mean? Because both of us could have went, took the other road and not been good dads. But we put our kids first. Um, do you remember when Tammy came home and she's like, hey, listen, I know you're working and everything else, but guess what? I'm pregnant. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Um, and we had tried before then. And, and uh, unfortunately, you know, before Ashley was born, um, you know, we had a miscarriage and, and that was pretty devastating mm -hmm. on Tammy, uh, you know, for a while, because, you know, at the time I was so looking forward, I wanted to be a dad, you know, yeah. very, very bad. Well then, you know, then we tried, you know, again, and Ashley, you know, she was born and, um, you know, that was, you know, probably for me, the, the most amazing day, you know, in my life uh, when she was born, because, you know, were you there? I was there. Yeah, thank thank God I was there. Was it a weekend off? Is that why? It was a weekend off. Yeah, we were we were racing in Memphis the weekend before, and I'm like, and and Ashley was due that weekend, but you know, just like her mom, Ashley liked to sleep a lot and was kind of procrastinating on getting out when she was supposed to get out. So a week later, you know, she's still not born. I'm calling his doctor up. I'm like what do we got to do to get this thing going? Yeah. You know, like what, like we've got to induce her because I'm leaving for English town in a few <laughs> days. And, and I, I said, God, I'm, I said, I'm not going to miss this. So, 
Luckily, um, it was Mother's Day of all things, May 14th, 1995, and, and Ashley was born. Wow. And it was like the, the greatest day in my life, and I know it was probably the greatest day in Tammy's life right. as well, too. So you guys are married, you're working together, everything's good, so you think. All of a sudden, years later, you get other news, and um, Tammy told you that she had cancer. Yeah, it was, you know, in the um, beginning of um, 2012, and Tammy and I's relationship, we were, we were struggling a little bit, you know, because of, of work and, and, you know, the, the amount of time that we each put into work Mm -hmm. and, and we put so much time into trying to do a good job, do our jobs well at work that we didn't put much time in, into her and I, right. And our relationship. And, um, we really just took each other for granted, you know, at that time. And, um, you know, and there was a point where I thought, you know, where we both thought, you know, like, are we, you know, destined to be married forever? I, you right. know, I didn't really know at that time. And, and I was, um, you know, unfortunately at, you know, times like that, you always, you always think the the worst of everything. You don't think of like, how do we get this relationship back on track? And, you know, we were both pretty stubborn people at the time to, you know, you know, say like, okay, we need, help or we need, you know, I need to be a little bit more open-minded about right. certain things or whatever. We, you know, um, it's probably not the way that we were raised. Yeah. Either. It's I mean, just, you know, it was just like, you know, neither one of us wanted to admit we were wrong or anything like that. But, um, you know, I remember at the beginning of 2012, she, you know, started getting this cough and stuff. And it was, you know, at the time for me, it was annoying. I'm like, you know, you need to go to the doctor. You need to, you know, so she goes to the doctor and they tell her that, you know, oh, she's, you know, they gave her some antibiotics and she should be fine or whatever. Well, then this, it, this cough didn't go away. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you need to go back to the doctor because this is ridiculous that this cough's still there. So she goes back and then they tell her like, well, you, you might have allergies, you might have this and that. And so then at that point, I'm telling her like, you need to go see another doctor or something. Right. And, um, you know, they had done x-rays of her lungs and everything back then. Well, I remember I was at the Houston race and, um, you know, I came back and, um, you know, I text her when I landed and, you know, most of the time she would come pick me up. And, um, so I text her, I said, you know, Hey, I just landed, you know, can you pick me up? She says, no. She says, I'm at the emergency room at St. Joe's hospital. I'm like, well, what are you there for? She says, well, I couldn't take it anymore. I you know, come and get myself checked out with this cough. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, I text her and call her and then, um, you know, she says, well, they're, they're admitting me because they say I have pneumonia. So, you know, I get, get a ride back to the shop, get my car and I drive up to St. St. Joe's hospital and she's, they now admitted her into the hospital. And so the doctor came in and said he was going to do a, um, a lung cleaning and, um, you know, wanted to, uh, check and make sure there was, you know, no cancer or anything like that. And that was the first time I ever heard the word cancer, like with my, my wife. And, and I'm like, well, there's no way that she's, she can have cancer. Right. So 
we had a race the very next weekend in Atlanta. And, um, you know, I was scheduled to leave on, on Thursday. And, um, you know, I remember telling Tammy, I said, well, do you want me to stay here with you? And because they were going to do this lung cleaning and then, you know, get her some results afterwards. She goes, no, no, just go ahead and go, go to the race. So I did. And then over the weekend, I'm, you know, texting her, calling her or whatever, and, and not hearing much out of her. Cause you know, it's like, well, how did everything go? Right. You know, oh, it was fine. Not much of anything. Right. So we get done with the Atlanta race and I, um, come back and I, uh, I call her up. I said, Hey, you know, where are you at? She says, well, I'm at my doctor's appointment. I've got a doctor's appointment here and I've got another doctor's appointment. And I said, well, I'll meet you, you know, at the doctor, you know, at St. Joe's. No, nah, you don't need to go. And I said, no, I want to go. No, nah, you don't have to go. So we argue about this. Finally, <laughs> she tells me where she's going to be at. And so I, um, you know, I drive to St. Joe's, go to the Reichert building and, and, uh, sit there and wait for her. And then she, you know, finally walks in. So we start walking around, you know, cause we're going to go to this, you know, doctor that right. we were supposed to, that she was supposed to see. And we're walking around. I felt like we were walking around in circles. I'm like, where are we going? So finally she sat down, you know, on a bench and, and I sat there with her and, you know, she, she told me, she says, um, you know, I have cancer. And, um, I remember probably the first time in my life I, uh, broke down and, and cried, mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a, as a grown man. And I, um, it was, uh, devastating to hear those words out of her that she had cancer. And, um, so then she proceeded to tell me, well, my appointment today is I'm going in to get a PET scan. So they know where it is and, you know, what they can do about it. So, um, so I took her in and, you know, she, you know, they took her back there. They said it was going to take, you know, I think it was going to take about an hour and a half to do everything. And, um, you know, I remember leaving her there and I, uh, you know, went out to my car and I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, and a lot, and so many things went through my head, like, you know, oh, she'll be okay you know, this will be fine and, and whatever. But, um, about a week later we went back and we met with her oncologist for the first time and he came in and, um, he, he basically just laid it out there and said, you know, you have stage four metastatic lung cancer and, um, most people survive anywhere from six to 12 months. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And I'm, I'm devastated at this point. And I remember Tammy's like, okay, well, what do we got to do to, you know, <laughs> to make this take, better to take care of this. <clears throat> and so, you know, I saw that she was very positive about this and I, right. and I, I was like, okay, well then it was almost like I didn't really understand what was going on. And I don't know if it was that I didn't, or I didn't want to understand what was going on. I didn't understand, you know, want to understand what potentially she was going to be going through mm -hmm. because I'm like, how can this happen? Yeah. And, and, um, unfortunately at that time, there's still the selfish part of me that is like, well, I, I'm still racing and I still, you know, I can't have this, you know, happen right now. Right. And, um, but, um, 
it, it, she made it to where Tammy made everything always seem like nothing was a big deal. And <laughs> she always scheduled her appointments when you're out of town, when I was out of town. <laughs> so I really never knew how bad things were. Yeah. And, and, um, I think sometimes I was that, afraid. That, but that's the kind of, of woman that Tammy was. Oh, is, yeah, you know was, what I mean? She, <laughs> I, t- you, Tammy was just one of those. She she would light up a room when you walked in or when you called. Oh, yeah. You know me because she answered. She was the office manager for years, right? Yeah, and and I know that when I would call for you know you or BL and and just see what you you know what was going on for dinner or something like that, and it would be her, and she would always laugh and say, "Well, let me guess, you're gonna say outstanding again." <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but she not- was always like positive, or or she would look for that from somebody. Oh but- yeah, no, she always and, and she always had something. She was very quick witted. She could Fair, say, I was gonna say I mean cow, I remember Cowboy Bob would call up back there and and uh you know he he would ask her, Hey baby, what are you wearing? And she would say, A smile. <laughs> and that was it. And that was you know, and it was just and he would she could make him blush right, almost yeah. sometimes. So it was it was uh it was pretty cool. And you know, but you know, she was just one of those that she never wanted people to worry about her yeah. or make a big deal out of her. and um, But she was also proud of you, too. I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. Like, hey, listen, I don't want to be that that thorn in his side. He's worked so hard to get to where he's going or where, where he wanted to go. Now he's there, and I don't want it to be there. I mean, I don't know. I'm not yeah, Tammy, but no, I'm just saying she, it's like th- there's that other side of that. She was proud of you. She was. She was a, she was a, a, a great lady and, and a caring woman and yeah. a great mother and everything and, and it was like and um you know you don't ever want to live your your life with with regrets but I guess probably the the biggest regret that I have is just not understanding how good of a human being she really was and and how much she cared about me and how much she cared about uh, so many people out there I I never I guess fully really understood that until she was gone. But Jim, you did actually understand that. Most people never ever understand that even when somebody is gone. You at least were smart enough and open-minded enough to realize what you had and you learned from it. Yeah, no, I it, it was um it, you know, it was a tough lesson for me. Um, How long did you have her from 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 the time of the doctor saying that you you know you have six months to a year? Yeah, at thirteen you, months she made it. Really? You know, so she made it longer than they thought she would make it. Yeah, you know, which I I had a feeling she would. <laughs> did did she set? A lot of times people talk about they set goals for themselves. Like maybe they 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 want to go on a certain vacation or they want to accomplish something that 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 they never did or maybe that there was a wedding that they wanted to see. Was it something that Tammy wanted to to be around to see? Well, the the main thing that she wanted to see was our daughter graduate from high school, and um, that was a a goal of hers that um, she was going to see Ashley graduate. And you know, at the beginning of uh, 2013, in January of 2013, I I really made a commitment to to Tammy to try to to be there for for her for everything and and it and it really happened a little bit before that at the end of the 2012 you know nhra race season when i got back i um you know i told myself you know i i've 
I finally figured out, I said, you know, this, this woman's dying in front of my eyes. And mm-hmm. I didn't understand that before because I, in my mind, I felt like, you know, Tammy hid so many things from me about what was really going on that I thought she was going to be just fine. And, but then it was going to some doctor's appointments with her in, in, uh, December and early January, I, I realized, I said, no, she's dying in front of my eyes. Did you become an inspiration to her, a motivator for her? Like, you know, sometimes the, the, um, there's a switch and all of a sudden it's like, they were that person for so long, but did you ever become that person or was she always that strong of a person where you never really had to inspire her or motivate her or kick her in the butt? I think she was more of an inspiration and a motivator for me than I was for her. Um, what I was for her really more in the end was, was a whipping post. Um, you know, it was, uh, uh, I, I was there for her to take her, her, um, her anger out, her, her frustrations out about having cancer. I was there for her to, to just yell at and whatever. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, and I needed, I, I needed to be strong about that and not take things so personally because I remember the one time, you know, she was, she was such a, a, a great lady and she had a very hard time sleeping, you know, mm-hmm. the last few months of her life. And, and, um, you know, she was, you know, on pain medication or whatever, and it was really hard for her to stay asleep the whole night. And, and I was a light sleeper anyway. So she, always felt that she was waking me up all the time. And I remember I woke up in the morning. Well, she was in the spare bedroom sleeping. And I go in there. I said, well, what are you doing in here? She says, well, I kept waking you up. And I know how, you know, how much trouble you have sleeping. So I just came in here so you can get some sleep. I said, well, I, I appreciate that. So we sat there and we talked and she had told me that she says, you know, I think today I want to go, um, I want to go take a drive with my car. I want to go drive around. And I said, Tammy, you can't do that because at the time she was having these pain fits Mm -hmm. and um, it was almost like seizures would come on and she would just, they, these pain fits were just, I, I can't imagine the pain that she was going through and it would basically take her down almost. And they would just pop up whenever. And I said, Tammy, you can't go drive and then have a pain fit I said, because you'll, you'll get in an accident or you'll hurt yourself or hurt somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't want to do that. Well, then, you know, she proceeded to, you know, get in my case, like <laughs> how hard this was for her that she's been always been an independent woman and, and she can always do things for herself. Well, now, you know, she's like, you know, I can't drive anywhere by myself. You always have to take me everywhere. She needed help taking a shower or using the bathroom, all these things. And she couldn't do these things by herself anymore. And and um, that was tough to hear. Yeah. You know, that was really tough to hear out of somebody that was such a proud um, woman that, you know, these these simple things that, we take for granted in our lives, like driving a car, taking a shower, using a bath. Like she couldn't do these things by herself anymore. Jimmo, listen, we are literally almost at an hour. So this is the first time that this has ever happened on my podcast. We are going to, we are going to stop this podcast and we are going to 
literally go right into segment two, if you don't mind, because there is a bunch we still have to talk about, a bunch that still you need to let people know about. So if you don't mind, you're going to hang out with me for a little bit longer. Well, yeah, I got nothing else to do, bro. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) This is Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. That was just the first episode, and I can promise you, this episode two with my friend Jimmo, you don't want to miss this. He has so much more to tell you, so much more to share with you. This is Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, telling you, be safe, have fun, and have yourselves an outstanding day. And don't forget to visit my website at motivationalcowboy.com, and you can download all the episodes of Outstanding Life Podcast at iTunes Podcast and SoundCloud.com Outstanding Life Podcast. We'll see you next episode right here at Outstanding Life Podcast. Outstanding Life is a Soul Bridge Studio production.